Hey y'all and welcome back to Gimme the Creeps with Abby and Daniela. Hello, hello. Guess who's back again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Such a great movie. Indeed. <clears throat> Damn it. Now I want to watch it. I know. <laughs> The rewatch queen. <laughs> okay, so this week is my week. I guess we're just gonna jump right in. We don't have any housekeeping, <laughs> nothing. So. I mean, there's plenty of things going on, but <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> Ooh, okay. I guess I could leave that for the end because I had like a crazy ass story that I heard earlier today. Oh, geez, perfect. <clears throat> um, actually, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna just say you know, it was. It's just real quick. Um, because I'll forget. Uh, there, I read a story that a cop in Florida he detained <gasps> someone, put them in the car, oh. and he legit thought. An acorn falling on the top of the car was shots fired. So he no. starts fucking shooting into the damn car. What? And his partner, and then he says that he gets hit. He's like, um, I'm hit. Yeah, he says that he's hit, but he wasn't. And mm-hmm. his partner starts shooting as well because she, she thinks shit's really going on. And come to find out, it was a fucking acorn. This is like a comedy skit, but terrifying because yeah. it's real. The dude survived that was in the car, but shit, dude. Like, I would have been fucking, Imagine. oh my god, this is it, I'm dying. They need, I mean, they're probably going to lose something. I mean, I would think they'd lose their jobs or something with that. Okay. I don't know. Um, what the hell? Um, Florida, of course. Um, yeah. How weird. Well, that's really scary. Yeah, dude. Like, what the fuck? I thought you were going to talk about the guy who was detaining people and would sexually assault them. And oh, he's what? arrested now. I I read that story recently. And it brought me back to all those times when we, we insinuate, like, we don't really directly say it, but everybody's always like, well, he's going to get punished in prison for what he's done to those kids or whatever with like mm-hmm. pedophiles or specific situations. And it's still like a human rights thing. So I'm like, I always feel bad thinking that way, like that they should be assaulted while they're in there. Yeah. But this guy was a cop or like a guard and he was uh, sexually assaulting the prisoners. That shit is. Ugh. So now he's on trial for, and he's going to be put away. And then the people in the comments of that were like, um, now he's going to get what he was doing or whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the cycle never ends with yeah, this. Never kind of ends. Thing. Never um, ends. It's unfortunate. I mean, I know people do bad things, but to wish like sexual assault on people is like, mm, I don't know. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> not to start so. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> It's just awful to think about. Um, anywho, um, but I mean, some people feel differently about any kind of human rights in prison to begin with. Like when, yeah. 
like I heard a story from somebody that when they got arrested, they had contact lenses in and they did not say a word about it because they knew once they got those contacts out, they weren't going to be able to see because they're not going to be like, oh, let me call your doctor and get you some glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thinking about stuff like that really makes me sad. Like I know they're criminals, but I, I like I can't imagine being in there without my glasses on. My God. Yeah, that is fucked up. Like people don't think mm-hmm. about that stuff. Or like when mm-hmm. women are pregnant in there and they don't really get anything extra just because they're pregnant. Yeah, that shit. Oh, <laughs> that shit would suck really bad. Yeah, Mm-mm. for sure. We're all humans. We all make mistakes, but some mistakes are very harshly punished. Moving right Mm -hmm. along. Um, Yes. Now that we've gotten the heavy out of the way. She's Louise. um, I'm going to jump right into my story that has nothing to do with true crime. Oh, wonderful. So, in the autumn of 1984, in the village of Doddleston in Cheshire, in the northwest of England, Ken Webster was renovating a dilapidated cottage called Meadow Cottage. Mm. Have you, does Doddleston ring a bell? Oh, okay. So here we continue. He, Ken, had recently moved in. Uh, he was a economics teacher at a local high school and he lived with his girlfriend, Debbie, who was 19 and another friend, uh, Nicola Baguli, who was their long-term guest, but I guess like roommate. So also there are some places that say that Ken Webster, the name is a pseudonym, but I'm not entirely sure okay so not long after they moved in weird stuff began to happen a set of six toed footsteps appeared to walk up the walls six toes Mm -mm. Mm -mm. and um everybody agreed that it was a joke like they thought one of the other was pulling a prank or something right um so the footprints, they couldn't get to go away. So they like painted over them and they came back. Mm. So over the days and weeks, the occupants of Meadow Cottage experienced chalk marks appearing and sudden cold spots and a breeze strong enough to lift a newspaper into the air And a feeling of someone being there and later on noises like footsteps. Mm. And they also found uh, tins of cat food neatly piled in a pyramid. Like just randomly, (laughs) random as shit. And um, more weird track marks would appear on the floors and the walls and stuff. And cold gusts of winds out of nowhere and the house seemed to be filled with shadows and like you could feel like there was a presence there Mm. so all of that's going on they're like weirded out but they're continuing life as it is 
And one day Ken borrows an, a BBC micro model B computer from the school. It was an early machine using five and a quarter inch floppy diskettes for storage in a very basic word processing program called Edward installed. Mm. <laughs> yep. Um, so he, he borrowed the computer so that Nicola could use the word processor to write comedy sketches. <laughs> what the? Yeah, very specific. So, and this was long before the days of the internet and most people barely like, not a lot of people had computers in the eighties. So one day Ken gets home from work and he finds on the computer, a message is on the screen and it says, true are the nightmares of a person that fears safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. So. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. And of course, he's like, what the fuck is this? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't like, he doesn't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So he asks the girls and they don't know what anything is going on either. They're like, I don't know what the fuck that is. So a few days later, another message appears. And this one seems to be written in an archaic version of English. I think it's like early modern English. And it reads, I write on behalf of many. What strange words you speak. Although I must confess that I have also been ill-schooled. Sometimes methinks alterations are somewhat bareful, so they break main asleep in my bed. You are a worthy good man who has a fanciful woman and you live in my house, who dwell in my home with lights which the devil makes. It was a great mm -hmm. crime to have stolen bribe my house. Signed LW. So naturally, Ken is like, what the fuck? Like, how does... Mm -hmm. First of all, how does he know that I'm a man and that I there's a woman that I'm live with? Like there's women here. Uh -huh. And second, like what the fuck is happening? Like he literally has no idea. So he writes back. Ken writes back and they go back and forth, uh, like asking each other questions and stuff. And uh there's like discrepancies and like errors in the things that LW replies, like suggesting it's a hoax and stuff. So after Ken decides, okay, maybe this isn't a hoax. Like they, they keep talking and it becomes a sort of trans historical email system. Like they write back and forth to each other on this Edward program. Okay. So, Ken keeps track of all the correspondence that they have. He either he copies it down or he prints it out. One of those. But um, as they're talking, LW eventually says that his name is Lucas Weinman. 
and he lived in a house on the site of Meadow Cottage. He lived in the 1540s during Henry VII's reign. And the correspondence resulted in a deep mutual affection between Lucas and uh, the 20th century residents of his house. But not before Lucas demanded to know why they were in his house and what this, what he called a leams boist, which meant box of lights was. That's what he called the computer. He called it a box of light. So wow. Yeah. So Lucas uh, tells Debbie and Ken about his life, and they tell him about theirs. And um, Lucas said that he kept various livestock on the land around his house, that he'd been married with a son, but both wife and child died during the plague of 1517. And he initially claimed to have studied at, I'm assuming it's pronounced Jesus College. Um, but that was not founded until 1570. And he said he was in 1540. So later he retracts that and he says, actually, he'd studied at Brazenos College, which was in Oxford. So, um, and he said that he met Erasmus several times, which Erasmus is, Oh, I guess he was a reformer. Hmm. And I guess back in those times, but, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess he was, um, some sort of a scholar. Hmm. But, okay, so he says that he met this man, Erasmus, who was a scholar or reformer of some sort. And, yeah, that he had met him several times. So he was, like, name-dropping. And um, he'd been forced to leave that college for failing to expunge the Pope's name from documents. Which... Mm. So this was despite stating in one of his earliest messages that he had been badly, badly educated. So, Hmm. yeah. So he contradicts himself a lot. And then pictures, including one of Erasmus that Ken had left out for Lucas disappeared like in physical form. He had, gotten the picture for Lucas and then it just magically disappeared. Creepy. Which he thought that uh, Lucas had taken it back to his own time. Like, Ew. And um, also a picture of a similar type of car to Kins disappeared and then returned scorched on the edges which i don't know what his car had to do with anything but yeah Mm. what that means um and then ken found lucas to not be always reliable in conveying information and sometimes vague so he began to consider the hoax theory again Mm. but 
adding to the complexity of the situation after she had experienced tapping sounds, hair pulling and physical pressure and a marking sense of presence while alone in the cottage, Debbie began dreaming of Lucas. Mm. And these were well-structured events feeling more concrete than dreams in which she appeared to travel back and interact with Lucas and uh, hinted at a growing intimacy. Mm. Yeah. And um, that's weird in itself, but matters took a further soap opera turn when Ken and Debbie heard from a friend of Lucas's who told them that Lucas, like literally one of Lucas's friends sent a message through the computer saying that he was in trouble with the authorities because of the light box, which naturally mm-hmm. had devilish connotations. But that's weird. Like, why would you send your friend? Like, why mm-hmm. is friend like knowing what to do? I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. So accusations of witchcraft, had resulted in imprisonment for Lucas. And they also learned that Lucas was not his real name, which turned out to be Thomas Harden or Howarden. And uh, yeah, so his name wasn't Lucas. It was Thomas. Another Thomas, Thomas Falshurst, the sheriff who was prosecuting Lucas sent a message through the computer. Uh, but after pressure was put on Falser's, uh Thomas returned home and resumed contact with Ken. Like that is the weirdest shit ever. That is so bizarre. Like the sheriff comes over and sends a message to say, Oh, I've, I have him in prison for witchcraft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like What? I don't, it's weird. So random. Yeah. Um, like you're saying you imprisoned for, and then also you imprisoned him for the light box being witchcraft, but you're going to go use it. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's weird. <laughs> so, um, uh, it was like, he got released on, bail or something according to him but it I don't know it wasn't bail but um because he like worried what would happen to him after that mm-hmm. so as if all of this was not convoluted enough another entity calling itself 2109 contacted them um Thomas had thought that Ken and Debbie came from the year 2109 because it whatever it was, which was 2109 had given him the box of lights. So naturally Thomas assumed Ken and 2109 were friends. Mm. And one wonders why this had not come out earlier in conversations with him. Like, why is he barely bringing this 2109 up? So Mm. yeah, it's weird. Um, uh, Ken and Thomas begin to suspect that 2109 is changing their messages. 
and they develop a system where Lucas starts communicating, not Lucas, Thomas, sorry, starts, well, his name was Lucas, uh, starts communicating with paper and charcoal left out for him uh, by Ken in the present. And Lucas, mean, or Thomas, meanwhile, is able to somehow see and hear Ken in the past. It's like, it's almost like he's trying to say that his ghost can see what's happening in the present mm-hmm. or Ken's time, but he can only communicate through his time through the computer. Oh, wow. It's weird. It's really weird. That's what, that's what he says. That's what it's like, I guess, or what it's mm-hmm. supposed to be like. Yeah. So for, also, like, they're talking to 2109, this entity or person or whatever, and he doesn't even say anything about the future. Like, he doesn't give information at all about it, if he's supposed to be from the future. Mm-hmm. And um, Rosemary Dinage, she reviewed, or she did a review of um, Ken's writings on this and she reviewed it in the journal of the Society for Research, and she categorized the story as like a like a story, like a novel, mm-hmm. like it was made up, and made the point that twenty one oh nines, because he Ken translated what twenty one oh nine was saying too, and um, she, this girl Rosemary, made a point to say that his the way he wrote things out was like the, or she was saying like uh, the proper spelling changes that are bound to occur during like decades, like during different decades, you know, Mm -hmm. she said it was the same. It was the same. It was like consistent or whatever. So it didn't make sense that there was no change. Like there should have been a change in Mm -hmm. some way to indicate that he was from the future or whatever, but there was no change whatsoever. So she thinks it was a hoax, but, um, yeah. So Ken and Debbie researched Thomas's messages of which about 300 were received and not all of them were saved, but, a third are presented in the vertical plane, the vertical plane, which is the book that Ken Webster wrote about his alleged experiences communicating with Thomas in 2109. Hmm. And uh, around this time, they recruited sympathetic friends to help, including fellow teacher Peter Trinder who did much analysis of Thomas's messages using the OED, which is um, like a, it's part of like paranormal investigation stuff. I forgot what it was called um, besides OED, but he found that the checkable vocabulary was authentic to be from or before the 1540s, though the grammar was sometimes idiosyncratic. Yes. Oh. Idiosyncratic. 
And he considered the messages to be genuine. He supplied an appendix to uh, the book with his findings and also contacted Robin Peedle, an assistant librarian at Bresnos, who could not find Lucas Weinman in the college records, but did find Thomas Harden. Hmm. Yeah. So Cannon Company thought that they would ask reputable independent researchers to investigate, not least to ensure that they were cleared of suspicion of hoaxing. They turned to the Society for Cyclical Research and John Stiles, its research liaison officer, sent down member John Bucknell, who came with a colleague named Dave Welch and later with Nick Sobery Johnson. And they were clearly skeptical of the story and less interested in Thomas than in 2109, which Ken found frustrating and the investigation fizzled out. No report was filed. And when Ken contacted Stiles to find out, um, Stiles. Oh yeah. John Stiles. Uh, when he contacted Stiles to find out what was going on, he was told Bucknell had left the CPR in 18 or 1986 and Welch and Silbury Johnson were not actually members. So it was like, they didn't take it seriously at all. Mm-hmm. So a bizarre investigation by local UFO researcher, Gary Rowe, whose details were supplied by 2109 was equally unfruitful by the time instrumental transcommunication researchers, Ernest Sinoski and Jules and Maggie Harshfishbach became interested. Ken did not want to drag it all up again and declined their offers to investigate. Just as it looked like Ken in a new and more demanding job in Manchester, just as it looked like Ken with the new and demanding job in Manchester was, was tiring of the business, Thomas said that he was off to Oxford, having sold up in Doddleston. So he mused on the possibility of writing a book about the correspondence to be left in a place where it would actually be eventually be found and communication mm-hmm. ceased. So wow. to date, the promised book has failed to materialize and 2109's messages likewise, likewise petered out. Weird. Yeah. So that is what they are, but um, I don't know. It, it just gets, it's, I don't know. So, Mystery. yes. And um, <laughs> so the vertical plane is what I'm going to talk about next. So one of the themes that emerges most from the book is the instability of text. So, Although Thomas seemed to be able to see and hear what was happening in the present, Kim him Kim Ken himself never sees Thomas, although Debbie sees him in her dreams on several occasions. Instead, he primarily interacts with Thomas through various forms of textual communication, none of which the reader can rely on. So through the letters on Ken's computer monitor, Some of these, Ken never knows which, are altered in subtle ways by 2109, which doesn't, I don't know. Others 
are deleted by mistake, meaning that mm-hmm. uh, Ken had to surmise what he can recollect of them. So he just throws random shit in there hmm. that he thinks he remembers. So through printed copies of those same letters, a number of these are also subsequently lost and given or and again we rely on kin's memory for them to be for the content of his narrative and through manuscript notes which thomas scratched onto the surface in the present day uh, meadow cottage or he would write on like the scraps of paper with the charcoal whatever so um the material the materiality materiality yes the materiality of these notes uh inclines that kin or inclines kin to place the most faith in them even though they are often the shortest and most cryptic of thomas's statements like these little pieces of paper Mm-hmm. And Thomas communicates through different in it or different identities directly as Lucas Weinman, then as Thomas Harden, and secondhand through an unnamed friend, and then through Sheriff Thomas Falshurst. And he also sets traps for Ken in an attempt to assess whether he is really from the future. For example, he claims to have done his degree at Jesus College. Uh, which at the time had not existed. Anyone from the future uh, hardened reasons would surely know that there is no such thing as Jesus College and that it is nonsensical to claim to have studied there. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, Ken is saying that that was a test. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Ken, meanwhile, sees this as a mistake, which would point to the present. Uh, mm-hmm. to point to the presence of a hoaxer but yeah. and Ken and Thomas themselves also take steps to further mediate how their texts are received both try to modify their grammar and vocabulary so as to make it easier for the other to understand Thomas also modifies his handwriting to try to make it as clear as possible Ken's own narrative then further mediates Thomas's by translating his texts Thomas's original is presented in uppercase. Oh, well, it's me reading it. But, like, the the writing is, uh, well, like, how he types it out is early modern English. And in the book, Ken translates it to, like, mm-hmm. or whatever. And it is so fucking hard to read, like, when reminding me of the witch, <gasps> right? Like that kind of old English. Yes, style of yes that is exactly it. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's confusing. Yes, it is slightly confusing. Um, but Ken was able to decipher. Yeah. Which is weird, but whatever. Um, and okay, so here we go. 
So the way in which layers of different textual forms impose themselves upon each other, adding to or contradicting each other, is not unlike the way in which the real Thomas might have experienced the textual culture of 16th century England. The bound, printed, and unannotated book was by no means a prevailing manifestation of textual culture in early modern English, England. Um, oh, this just goes on about that shit. But... Uh, okay, so given all of this, the ease in which Kin's 16th century counterpart adjusts to the different forms of communicating with him is not that far-fetched, but because I, I think he, like, Thomas does get confused by stuff that Kin says, because, I mean, how do you, how is he going to know what the hell you're talking about if he's talking to you this weird way? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. But, um... I don't know, like, I don't know why he would say that he didn't have, like, he had poor education, and then Mm -hmm. he could just magically decipher these messages, like, I don't know. (laughs) But, okay, so that is all, that's basically what went down, right? So, a lot of skeptics say that it was Debbie. (laughs) Messing around. Yes, who was leaving these messages, because all of the messages were coming in while he was gone. Mm-hmm. Like, he he would get a message, and then he'd respond, and he'd have to wait for the response back. So he would go to work or whatever, and when he came home, it was already there. Wow. Yeah, and then other people say that um, this computer, these computers for the school – were given to them by some tech company or whatever, but um, they say, like, this one's pretty far-fetched, but they say that uh, someone at this facility might have been able to, like, you know how now, uh, like, if you have, like, a, I guess it's like a work computer, uh, they someone can remotely get into your computer and fix whatever the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they think that that might have been like an early version of that, and that this person oh. was just fucking around. Yeah. And so there are those two possibilities, but Ken is determined that none of that shit happened. I mean, that it like it that. It's not a hoax. Like, it's real. He really talked to a time-traveling 16th century man. And um, so, also, because he says that, other people say that he just made up that story so that he could sell his book. Like, that he had already written the book. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... The events at Meadow Cottage in 1985 and 1986 continue to be debated by those interested in researching the paranormal. And um, there are several blogs that people have written about it. And I added them in the source uh, links that are going to be posted in the story notes. I mean, the episode notes. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, in February of 2022, after 36 years, Ken Webster published a second edition of his unique supernatural detective story featuring Mm. additional materials and further thoughts. (laughs) Oh, nice. Building on to the story. Yes. Uh, But the mystery of the Donaldson messages, however, remains unsolved with many deeming it an elaborate hoax. And I also think it might be. (laughs) I mean, or if someone was giving him material to write about, they're like, let me give him a situation that he has to naturally react how he's going to react. Oh, I guess. That'll give him some kind of content to put in the book. Yeah, that's true. Like a little experiment. Yes. I'm wondering. This reminds me of The Watcher also, how they never found out he was writing those freaking letters. Yes, it ah! drives me insane. Creepy. Yeah, I agree. Through the, but through the light box is so much more intriguing. Yeah, isn't it? Like, that is pretty cool story. It's pretty cool. I mean, thinking about if a ghost from, like, another time was confused by all the technology, like... Yeah. What would they call it? How would they interact with it? Yeah. What would they think of it? They'd be scared. I mm. I agree. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to see how many... Um, like, what the stats are on the book. Oh. Like, <laughs> as far as how many people have. Yeah. <laughs> It's rated 3.9 out of 5 stars on Goodreads. Not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. Mm. But, uh, yeah, so either he was trying to, mm. uh, what's the word, uh, promote his book or right. what? Marketing idea, maybe. Yeah. Y'all be the judge. That's better than yeah. That's better than him accidentally driving himself nuts coming up with a. There's so many stories like that. I think Stephen King mostly does that, right? Like the author goes and shuts himself in the cabin, and then soon he's hearing sounds. And yes, it's real. I've even thought of a freaking book idea like that too one time. Ooh, of like me journaling and like oh she's when she's not smoking weed she still feels high and she can't remember if she left that there or if the dogs are outside or inside or she gets confused and then there's just like weird creepy situations that happen oh my god abby that sounds scary (laughs) that sounds Um, very scary so a writer getting confused is a pretty good premise to go off of yeah we Mm -hmm. but that was my short and sweet Story. Creepy. I've been watching a lot of X-Files, and that sounds like an X-Files episode, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm obsessed. I love it. Uh, Yeah. I need to watch that shit again. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You should. I had never seen it before, so I'm really enjoying the first run-through and how... Like, the variety of different cases is actually pretty fun and interesting. Yes, I agree. Like, guess which direction it's going to go ever, hardly. Yeah, (sighs) I I definitely agree on that. I'm going to have to redo, restart. 
This, so with this little story that you just told, um, it was also reminding me of Dear David because that really had everybody going. Yes. Dude. And they used a modern day social media to even promote that. So, yes. And we watched the movie just not that long ago. What? There's a movie? Let me Google yeah. it right now. It was, was it okay. spooky? It was not that spooky. Did a lot of it uh, Adam Tott on... have enough have anything to do with it? Oh, absolutely. I think he did. Um, because it was a lot oh, on his life. I see. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I was well, really excited. Oh, that had everybody freaked out all at one time on the internet. Pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, it was pretty good. Or well, the story I was as it was happening back then, that was enthralling. Yes, it was. And it gave me the worst uh, night terror in my entire life. Oh, really? After Because you like read it at nighttime or what? And then went to sleep? Well, I had been following it for a while. And I woke up one night. We decided to sleep. It was in that spooky house. The, oh. Yes. The one close to where you used to live. In the apartment. With uh, the tree house? No, the one after that. The expensive oh, one. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, that sounded terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I do know what you're talking about. I've been um, there. Mm-hmm. Yes, that you were definitely there. Um, oh, that was whenever I almost punched you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good times. <laughs> um... <laughs> Desperate, t- or what is it? Yes. Ex- extreme measures. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I had, um, we slept in the living room in the pullout couch for whatever fucking reason. And I woke up, I was facing the chair, one of the couches or whatever. And I swear I thought I saw someone sitting. I think it was right mm-hmm. after he had shown. David's sitting there on the chair across from his bed. Of course. So that is all I could picture. And I literally would not pull the covers off of me. I was drenched in sweat. You were just frozen in place. And I could not bring myself to get out from under the covers. I was dying. And I couldn't. I was so fucking scared. It was the worst. It was the absolute worst. I that feeling. And Jeremy is just snoring away. I know, right? It's been a while since I've been scared like that. I better knock on wood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I knocked. <laughs> um, good times. Great times. What a time to be alive. <laughs> I know, honestly. Jeez. Um, what else? What an interesting little story. Well, good right. for him. And he wrote his book. That's that's neat. Yes. I'm and I'm like super sorry that that didn't come out more eloquently either. Like it was so much shit. <laughs> like it was no, very I could, I could follow it. It was pretty good. I was I kept confusing the fuck out of myself at some point. Ken and Debbie. Maybe they were in on it together. Maybe. I mean, if they were, the it was two. definitely because of the book. I don't know. Nicola didn't really have a whole lot. Interesting. Fine. Get 
I know, Fauna's right here, so she better not make a noise. I wonder if she can hear uh, Lilith barking. <laughs> not through my headphones. So, she's all, yes, I have supersonic hearing, Mom, I can hear her. She might. They freak me out, too, whenever I can't hear. I don't hear anything, and suddenly they're just, like, barking at yes, one, all at no. once, and I'm like, what just happened? Absolutely what? not. Yeah, just no, thank you. Mm -hmm. <sighs> <laughs> Well, the Super Bowl has come and gone. It sure has. Did you watch it? Good riddance. No. <laughs> I didn't either. I just wa I looked up the halftime show. Oh, I didn't even watch that. I didn't really like watch it. <gasps> Excuse me. Bless you. The, thank you. Uh, Rihanna's is still pretty, pretty good. That's a rewatchable one for sure. That was last Rihanna. year's. Mm -hmm. um, Usher did pretty good. Good for him. I didn't. I don't know. Everybody a lot of hits. Excited, but, uh, I guess because they just felt like it was like past nostalgic. due or something, maybe. And that too. He had a lot of hits, so I mean, it made sense. Like, Vaughn, get going. Nothing but the hits. Nothing but the hits. Nothing but the, <laughs> but the motherfucking hits. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, like you knew exactly what the fuck I was talking about. The only radio portion I think of is Freak-A-Leak. Is it from that one? Mm, hold on. Nothing. <laughs> Me. Googling everything every single second. <clears throat> that time traveling oh. ghost is going to be like, this girl is always Googling yes. dumb shit. It's <laughs> always on time by Ja Rule and Ashanti. Oh, see, had to be one of those early 2000s. Yes. Lord yes, 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 yes. Perfect. I used to love that song. God damn it. Okay. I know. I love that whole er er like era of music so much. Which, speaking of, J-Lo has been called out officially about uh, for her not singing on most of her tracks. Really? Ashanti and a couple of other artists sing for her. And I don't even think she writes her own music. Anywho, I'm not going to say she doesn't have any talent, but people have called her out for like not really being a performer in that way. But then people are like, well, we like her movies, so let her have some." Yeah, uh, she's not very good, a singer. Right, right. But no. I think she does write some. Like, at least one of her albums, she has to have written one. Like, they were about, like, Ben Affleck. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. and Jenny from the blog video. Someone <laughs> just, yeah, unless someone just wrote them, like, about her for her, you know? Possibly. Um, what the funniest thing that happened was this uh, actress that was going to be on SNL with her had done a podcast and said a bunch of that stuff on the podcast episode. And then it it didn't get leaked, but people like brought up that podcast episode right before her SNL was going to be cut. Uh, and so they she apologized, the, act, the actress. Let me see. SNL. Uh, uh, little, little, uh, six days ago, I think is when it aired. 
Oh my god. Anyways, um, 2024. Let me do it because she's been on SNL before. Oh, there it is. Ayo Adebiri apologized with tears in her eyes over the resurfaced commentary um, slamming Lopez, and she was mortified. So when she found out they were going to be hosting together, which I wonder if whoever was writing that episode was like, let me get these two together so that they have to confront oh, shit. this awkward situation. Anyways, so. But the jailer um, would remember that, really. Right, I don't know. So, so, so then they like... All that stuff got resurfaced, and then so that actress felt bad, and she was like, I'm sorry, J-Lo. I do think you're talented, but she got mm-hmm. caught, so that's just funny. I wonder how many other – ooh, that's been happening with Taylor Swift, too. Some uh, celebrities are coming forward as um, not liking or, you know, not being a Swifty, quote-unquote. I'm not a Swifty. <laughs> I'm not either, and it's a sensitive subject because it always seems like she's just harmless and she's like being bullied by everyone all the time. But I can see the like mediocrity in her music and how why is she being praised? Yeah, so much. And then how like Lana Del Rey never gets any Grammys. Like, are you kidding me? I thought she did for uh, Born to Die. Born to Die. I'm not sure if she's ever won at all. But um, anyways, but her writing is just like so much deeper, and yeah. I don't know. I'm not here to say you know say who's but good or whatever, but I mean, people think that Lena. It's Lena just the whiteness Lena. of it all. The, the whiteness, <laughs> the lack of struggle. But who am I to say like, oh, a true artist should have some darkness in them to be a good artist? You know, I I don't know. I can't speak on that, but I do see the issues and i know that they will be coming out on tiktok because i've already come across a couple that people are just already over it but now i feel like we need to have uh, taylor swift's back more than ever because now the football guys are on her back (laughs) oh yeah for no and i'm like can't you just live leave her alone (laughs) guys are fucking for no fucking reason I know, right but i did see a cute little commercial about this dad that um did you see that commercial too where his daughter's coming home from school and they don't really have like a relationship. And so he gets her a Jersey to start watching the chiefs with him because Taylor Swift, she's a fan of Taylor Swift. And so they both have like bracelets on by the end of the commercial. It was really cute. I was like, okay, bonding. Yeah, that is cute. I had not seen that. That's a better way to look at it than people being like, I'm so tired of them showing you Taylor Swift. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Anyways. Yes. Well, the dogs are beckoning. <clears throat> Mine as well. <laughs> so we will wrap it up here. Guys, make sure you join us next week for another episode. Don't forget to like and follow and join the Facebook group, Gimme the Creeps, G-I-M-M-E, the Creeps. And meet us every Friday on wherever you listen to podcasts um, for a new episode. So thank you guys so much for all your support, and we'll see you next time. So... Did we give you the creeps?